This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 222 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Joining us this week is Jamil Jaffer, Senior Vice President for Strategy, Partnerships, and Corporate Development at IronNet Cybersecurity, the organization founded by retired General Keith Alexander, former director of the National Security Agency and founding commander of U.S. Cyber Command. Our conversation covers a variety of topics, including Jamil Jaffer's own career journey on Capitol Hill and as a self-described recovering lawyer, his views on the steps the Biden administration has taken so far in cyber defense, as well as IronNet's involvement in defending the Network Operations Center at this year's Black Hat. Stay with us. I was, I'm a child of the 80s. Um, and so in 1984, I got my first computer. It was a Tandy TRS-80 color computer, the so-called Trash 80. 4K of onboard RAM, four yep. kilobytes, okay? We upgraded to 16 kilobytes, me and my dad, right? And and we were the talk of the Rainbow Computer Club in Santa Monica, right? What are you going to do with 16K <laughs> of onboard RAM? Oh, my God, it's so much memory, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Dave, you'll remember this. I mean, you know, you, we, rec- we we put programs on cassette tapes, right? Yeah. And you plugged oh, yeah. into, yeah. So, yeah. you know, so I've been doing this since I was a kid. You know, you get it. Um, my, my next computer was a Tandy Model 4P portable, which was, you know, 40 pounds and this big old brick that you lugged around. Uh, then I had an Atari 1040 ST. I paid my way through college, even though I'll admit I was a poli-sci major and I would also admit to being a recovering lawyer. Don't hold it against me. But I paid my way through college doing computer support. So I did computer support at UCLA for the life sciences department, for the athletics department. I crawled through ceilings running 10 base T cable um, and doing fiber punch down blocks. So, you know, I've always had sort of technology at my heart, even though I did government, I did politics, I did law for a while. Um, and so this has always been a part of, you know, what I've been into. Well, let's walk through your career path then. I mean, you, you get out of school. Where did you get your start and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, so you know, I went to UCLA for college, poli sci, econ, uh, but but did all that computer support stuff. Um, I had a chance to go work uh, on on some campaigns and on Capitol Hill for a great congressman from Virginia, Bob Goodlatte. Uh, people might remember him because he was the one that freed up the sale of strong encryption that really has allowed us, frankly, to use the kind of encryption, the kind of strong encryption we need on uh, on our on our web browsers and the like to really protect our financial transactions. So I worked for him for a couple of years. Uh, then I went off to law school uh, at the University of Chicago. I worked for a federal judge. I worked at a law firm. I worked in the government uh, at the Justice Department. And then I had this amazing opportunity to go work the new, at the newest division at the Justice Department, the National Security Division. This was a division created after 9-11 to bring together the counterterrorism, counterespionage people, and the people that did foreign intelligence surveillance. And at this time, the real new way of doing foreign intelligence surveillance, is, as, as now we've all started talking about post-Snowden, right, is was on in the cyber domain. So I was able to take my knowledge and skills in the cyber domain and apply them in a very real practical way to helping identify terrorists, identify spies and the like, working with our lawyers and our operators, the FBI and the NSA, to really uh, engage in some really cool operations, some of which have now been, have now been declassified. Um, and then I had a chance to go work at the White House Counsel's Office and the Bush administration. There I had a chance to work on President Bush's Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative. You know, and, uh, and then went back to being a regular workaday lawyer, uh, sort of got tired of that pretty quick and ended up going to the House Intelligence Committee where I worked on the cyber uh, information sharing legislation for, for, for Mike Rogers um, and, uh, and then the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, and, and now and now IronNet. Now, and by the way, that sounds like a lot of jobs. It has been a lot of jobs. 
Ironet cybersecurity has been the longest job I've ever had at almost seven years. It is three times more than the longest job I ever had before this. So I've loved it here. We're having a great time with General Alexander and the whole team, Bill Welsh, our new co-CEO. It's been an awesome time um, and, and really pumped about what we're doing um, as we start thinking about what's next in the next in sort of the next iteration for Ironet. I'm kind of imagining General Alexander, you know, looking over your resume and saying, gosh, Jamil, you, you don't seem to be able to hold down a job for very long. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he's kept me here. And, you know, what's funny is, um, you know, Mike Rogers was not thrilled when I left the Intelligence Committee to go to the Senate. Um, and he's now on the board of directors here at Ironnet. So he and General Alexander are both on top of me about you can't you can't bail out until we do something amazing. And we've got a lot of amazing in the last seven years um, and hopefully a lot more to come here in the next few months and weeks. Well, so take us through your day today. What sort of things keep you busy there at IronNet? Man, it's so crazy. I, you know, it, it's a bunch of different things. So, you know, IronNet, um, one, uh, I do a lot of writing with General Alexander. He, he's, a, he's a real visionary when it comes to the cyber domain. And so I've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, working with him when he goes on TV, when, when he writes, when we write op-eds together. We've written a couple of book chapters. Um, so we've done a lot of work together in the sort of the strategy space, thinking about IronNet and a product and how we're, how we're thinking about it, but also how he talks about cybersecurity in the larger world because, you know, he's got a long history in this space. Um, on the partnership side, I run all of Ironet's partnerships with our biggest partners. So Microsoft, AWS, CrowdStrike, Splunk, uh, you know, Palo Alto, you name it, the biggest players in cybersecurity. I'm in charge of the relationships we have with them, the go-to-market activities we do, the integrations we build. There's a tech team that does amazing work uh, run by our chief product officer, Don Klosser, and, and Brian Lairs and Greg Zemlin that work for him. Um, so we're doing some great work in that space. And then the last, and I think, most interesting piece of my job or, or the newest and sort of now growing piece of my job is thinking about what we might do in the mergers and acquisition space, right? Companies we might acquire, companies we might partner with on technology and the like. Um, Ironet is going through the process right now uh, of potentially becoming a publicly traded company. Um, and so that's all that's all playing out. Um, and you can look for more information about that on our website. Um, but as we do that, you know, we're thinking about whether there might be some some uh, some interesting acquisitions out there uh, we might make to bring some technology in, some tech tuck-ins to help us advance our roadmap and the like, and 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 you know, and 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 bring in really good, smart people to help us on this mission to really bring collective defense uh, to uh, both uh, our friends here in the United States as well as our allies abroad across the globe in Asia, Europe, and elsewhere around the globe. You know, you strike me as as a person who uh, clearly has a lot of energy and a lot of drive. Um, I mean, how do you handle you know when when you have a bad day, when things aren't going so well? What's your approach to adversity? Well, you know, look, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, I come from a family where my dad came to the U.S. You know, with with a few hundred dollars in his pocket. He didn't have a job. He had a bachelor's degree, yes, but from the University of East Africa, Dar es Salaam, right? We're ethnically Indian, but three generations of my family grew up in East Africa. Um, you know, and so my family moved to, they didn't have anything, right? And my dad got a job working first at the University of Toronto. Then he moved to LA and, and got a job at UCLA. He sort of, he was one of these people who just walked in and, and sort of said, look, you want to hire me. I'm going to work my butt off for you and I'm going to do good things. And, and you know, my, both my mom and dad gave me that work ethic, you know? And so, so for me, you know, adversity has happened, uh, you know, in, in life, but you gotta, you gotta run at those things, right? To me, you know, I like risk. I think risk is something that a lot of people shy away from. A lot of lawyers are very risk averse, right? And that's why I describe, describe myself as a recovering lawyer, because I think risk aversion is a mistake. For people who are, are driven and smart and excited about what they're doing, frankly, if you're passionate about something and you love it, you should run towards risk. Risk is your friend. You're gonna be successful at it. And if you're not successful at it and you struggle, you're going to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get better. And so I look at a lot of my friends and colleagues and say, hey, 
You've got amazing opportunities. Are you having a challenge? Great. Run at it. If you fail, get up, dust yourself off and run at it again. What's your advice for those folks who are perhaps considering a career in cybersecurity? I'm, I'm thinking of you know, either someone coming up through school or maybe considering a career shift. Well, look, I mean, obviously, cybersecurity could not be a more uh, a more exciting environment to get into. It is a rare industry that has a, had a 0% unemployment rate for the last decade. I don't think there's any other industry in, in the space where there's that kind of low unemployment rate because there's an over-demand for people and an under-supply. And so if you're thinking about getting into cybersecurity and you want to change your career or you want to go get a degree or you're a young person thinking about what should I do in college, if you're excited about this, and I think really – you really got to be passionate about it. You got to be into it. If you're into it and you want to do it, make the leap, do it. There's there's a ton of jobs. There's a ton of opportunity. Um, and frankly, look, I'm a career switcher, right? I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I was in the government. And yeah, I had cyber elements in my background, you know, the technology stuff I did growing up and the technology stuff I did as a lawyer. But I mean, I made a hard switch when, when, when I came to IronNet, part of my deal was I'm not going to do any legal work for the company. Still got dragged in on occasion. And then, you know, when our new CEO came in, Bill Welsh, he said, hey, Jamil, I'm going to hire a general counsel. Do you want to apply for that job? And I said, absolutely not. He said, well, you know, it's, it's a promotion. You'll be on the executive leadership team, you know, more money, more stock, you know, whatever, right? And I said, look, you know, I, I want to be a leader in the business space. I've been a lawyer. I've been there, done that. I'm good. Let's go hire a general counsel. We hired a great guy um, uh, in Scott. Um, and, uh, and so we've got a great general counsel, um, but, but I'm happy not being a lawyer for the company. I'd like to switch gears with you a bit and talk about uh, you and your team's expectations when it became clear that Joe Biden was going to become president of the United States. In the cyber realm, what sort of expectations did you have? Well, look, I think uh, I think uh, Biden uh, clearly was going to put together a, a superstar uh, cyber team. I um, mean, he's done that. If you look at across the board, uh, whether you start with General Paul Nakasone at, at Cyber Command and NSA, uh, Rob Joyce is the head of the cybersecurity directorate at NSA. You've got Ann Newbarger in the White House. You've got Jen Easterly at CISA. You know, Chris Inglis at National Cyber Director. I mean, you could not put together a better team of cyber experts, not to mention Jake Sullivan uh, at the top of the National Security Council. I mean, this is really, uh, in a lot of ways, the elite cyber team uh, when it comes to uh, defending the nation um, in, in this arena. And from what we've seen so far from the administration, the amount of attention that they're focusing on cybersecurity, is, uh, does it fit the bill here? Or are you in alignment with how they've handled it so far? Well, yeah, look, I mean, they've obviously taken a lot of interest in the issue. You've heard the president talk about it a number of times, whether at press conferences um, or, or the like. You've seen two executive orders. Um, you've seen, uh, uh, like I said, these great appointments. Um, I think one of the challenges that they're facing, to be candid with you, is, you know, we've seen a, a, a onslaught of, of, of uh, cyber hacks and cyber attacks uh, against American infrastructure. I, I like to differentiate between hacks, which are sort of the things I think about when, you know, you, you, you go after a system and you try to take out data, um, it, remove it and utilize it, surveillance type stuff, uh, IP theft, right, versus what I'd call cyber attack, where you're actually trying to engage in destroying data, manipulating data, modifying data, uh, uh, taking systems offline. Uh, you know, oftentimes we talk about cyber attacks as being both those things, but it's probably an, an understatement. And they've been, they've faced an onslaught of both, right? We saw the solar storm uh, uh, attacks uh, against American infrastructure towards the end of last year as they began to take office. We saw, uh, we saw the micro 
Kharkov exchange hacks by the Chinese. The solar storm was by solar storm was the Russians. Uh, we've seen now a series of ransomware attacks, include attacks where, where systems were, were, were compromised and, and, and made non-functional for a period of time against critical infrastructure, colonial pipeline, key, uh, you know, uh, providers, JBS, the meat, the meat supplier, uh, you know, supply chain attacks through Kaseya, the, uh, the cybersecurity provider. So we've seen a lot going on, and the Biden administration has really gone out of their way to be forward-leaning about it. I mean, the president raised it with Vladimir Putin um, in, in at their at their summit recently. Um, but let's also be candid. Uh, we haven't seen a big neck down in attacks. The attacks uh, and the hacks have continued, uh, if not sped up and gotten more problematic. And so I think the administration is working on it. But but have they have they hit success yet? I think they would tell you uh, they're still struggling to find that find that, that key thing that will deter these uh, these these hacks and these attacks um, and, and be an effective response. And what do you suppose they have at their disposal? What, what are the, the dials they can turn in terms of uh, international diplomacy to, to make a difference there? That's no, a great. It's a great question. I think there are three primary things they can do. Uh, one is on the defensive side, right? So you know we've talked for a long time, and you heard the Cyberspace Solarium Commission last year in March during the middle of COVID come out with a report saying, you know, we defend in this country and frankly with our allies in too much of an individualized way. Each individual company, each individual government agency is going up against the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans. It's not effective. We've got to defend collectively. We've got to bring government agencies together. We've got to bring private industry, companies together, industries together, industry with the government, and frankly, our government with allied governments to really defend the nation and defend our allies in cyberspace. We don't do that. And the Cyberspace Solar Commission talked about that piece of the defensive side, which really is critical. So that's one thing they can do on the defensive side is really create a collective and, and collaborative defense capability. You know, as you and I are recording this, uh, just recently the White House put out a memorandum on uh, protecting industrial control systems. And one of the things that that memorandum pointed out was that your next steps could include a Congress taking it to the next level of, of actually, you know, putting together legislation. It strikes me that Cybersecurity remains one of the the few things where it seems as though there is true good faith bipartisan support. Um, Do you think that's that? First of all, do you think that's so? And and is is that going to make an easier path for this White House to move things forward with cyber? I think so. I mean, I think I, I think that both parties recognize the challenges we face in this in this arena. You know, we saw President Bush back uh, a long time ago uh, creating a national cybersecurity uh, initiative, um, and and so that was the, the beginning of this. The Obama administration did a lot in this space. The Trump administration definitely got more aggressive in the cyber domain, and the Biden administration has has continued that effort. I mean, Congress at times has taken action. You saw in 2015 the creation of the Cyber Information Sharing Act. Uh, that was a good move. That was legislation that I worked on back in 2011 when I was when I worked for the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, Chairman Mike Rogers. Um, and so there's been a lot done in this space. Uh, could there be more? Absolutely. But could there also be bad choices made by Congress and the executive branch in this space? There could be. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the need to regulate in the cyber domain. There's been a lot of talk about the need to uh, impose new requirements. And, you know, I tend to be of the view that one of the challenges we have in the cyber domain is, you know, there's there's a real lack of information flowing between the government and industry. There's a real lack of collaboration. I think we need to fix that problem first before we try to go after regulation. I mean, look. The government is not particularly good at understanding technology itself internally, much less externally. 
the idea that you know one of our regulatory agencies or one of the regulatory bodies of the government could set smart regulations for cybersecurity and then update them as quickly as needed to keep up with technology seems to me pretty unlikely. And, and so I think before we reach that regulatory stick, we should really reach for, you know, smart carrots, smart incentives, and really create that, that what, what, the, what the Cyber State Solarium Commission called for, this collaborative and collective uh, cyber defense, and see if that works, see if that solves the challenges we see in cybersecurity. People talk about a market failure in cybersecurity. It's not a market failure if the market lacks information, right? That's something you'd fix through more, more, more information, more collaboration, then, and, and if then there's still a problem in cybersecurity, then we could talk about market failures and the need for regulation, in my view. And then even then, you got to be sure, can Congress do it right and update it effectively? And, you know, I mean, that's, that's still to be seen. You know, my sense is that we've we've uh, certainly seen more outreach from a, a lot of the organizations. Uh, you know, NSA is being a lot more uh, public and, and collaborative than I think they've been in the past. Uh, even things like seeing folks like Jen Easterly communicating out on social media, like Twitter. You know, yeah. I, I think all of these things are helpful. Um, how do we be sure that they aren't just window dressing? Look, that's a great question. I mean, look, I, I know Jenny Sully personally. I've known her for years since she ran the Counterterrorism um, um, Mission Management Center at NSA. She is a doer. She is not a talker. Uh, it's been great that she's been out there publicly on Twitter talking about uh, the work that she's doing, the work, the important work that CISA does. That's an important part of that dialogue with the American public. At the same time, again, you know, it's actions critical. And so, you know, we've seen executive orders. We've seen uh, we've seen some talk within the government about what they're going to do. We've seen some great appointments. But at the end of the day, until our adversaries realize that we are getting fed up and tired of this and we're going to do something about it, and they're going to feel some pain the way they're making us feel pain, whether that's China through IP theft or, or Russia through ransomware or you know, Russian proxy actors through ransomware, frankly, you know, until they feel pain, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to continue testing our boundaries. It's like having a kid. You know, If you set <laughs> boundaries for your kid, if you don't enforce them, they learn they can get away with it and they test your boundaries. And you know, again, I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be dismissive of any of our adversaries. They're very serious, very uh, professional, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans. But discipline matters and punching back and being tough matters. And, and this administration you know, has the kind of people who understand how to do that. Paul Nakasone, Jenny Sully, Rob Joyce. Uh, Chris Ingalls, these people know how to get tough with the adversary. We got to free them up to do it. All right. Well, uh, let's move on and talk about uh, your organization's involvement at Black Hat this year. Um, can you give us a, a little background here, uh, your, your history with the event, and how you all came to be involved with the Network Operations Center? Sure. So, you know, IronNet uh, Cybersecurity was founded by General Keith Alexander, the former director of the NSA and the founding commander of U.S. Cyber Command. Um, and we brought together a great group of people, uh, you know, offensive operators from NSA, the best and the brightest who were going up against the Russians and the Chinese, getting into their systems, and the defensive side, defending uh, the U.S. government uh, from these types of attacks, the DOD and the defense industrial base. And so brought together some great folks. Um, and, and when this company got started, you know, right actually before John Sanders left NSA, he was the first NSA director to actually go to Black Hat and engage the audience, to go to those, those, those organizations to talk about what NSA does. I mean, it was it was it was a it was a fundamental sea change in the way the government operated uh, with respect to hackers um, and 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 the like and, and the community uh, that's there. Uh, he came in jeans. He talked candidly, you know. Um, and and we've seen that more hap happening more. And so Ironet's always had in our culture uh, to be part of these events and to be part of that community, whether it's Black Hat or DEFCON or the like. And so 
That's we've always engaged. Uh, we've always been there. I've spoken a couple times at Black Hat, um, and, and I've, I've sherpaed members of Congress uh, to DEF CON just two years ago before COVID <laughs> hit. Um, so, you know, we've been engaged the whole way. This year, we decided to up that engagement with Black Hat. This year, we decided we're going to be one of the one of the organizations that's going to defend the knock. So, you know, Black Hat has a network operations center. As you know, everyone tries to come after Black Hat to say you 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 took out the the network operations center at Black Hat is a is a is a is a is a, is a matter of pride for for both White Hat and and other hackers, Gray Hat and the like hackers. And so, you know, uh, so to be the the organization defending the knock is is a, is a big task. And so we're doing that this year. We're excited about it. And frankly, we're bringing this collective defense mentality, this collective defense capability. Uh, to the NOC. So we're not just going to be defending the NOC itself, but we're going to be taking information for our existing clients and in an anonymized way, bringing that together to defend the NOC, just, not just against what we know about, but the unknown unknowns, right? Trying to find those new and novel threats that are coming up against the NOC. That'll help defend the NOC better at Black Hat, but it'll also help defend our clients out in industry better all at the same time. So, you know, that collective defense we were talking about and what the Cyber Space Commission talked about, we're going to bring that to bear uh, this next week at, at the Black Hat Network Operations Center. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point in, in that, that that collaboration flows both ways, that you're able to provide your uh, services, your expertise to help defend. But at the same time, all of that stuff that's going to be coming at you, that's a great learning opportunity looking for you know novel approaches and things you can take back to your clients and share with the community. Well, exactly right. And, and at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, you know. The idea, you know, we've never thought about in no other sort of area of nation state activities, right, where we know nation states have highly capable actors, criminal gangs that are sometimes funded by nation states. We've never thought that was the job of individual companies to defend against. I mean, think about it, right? If the Russians were to fly a bomber over U.S. territory, we don't think Target or Walmart or J.P. Morgan should have surface air missiles on the roof of their buildings or their warehouses to defend against the Russians. That's crazy. And yet in cyberspace, the theory is exactly the opposite. Every single company, large, small, mom and pop, big, big bank, big energy, they all have to defend against the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, major criminal gangs emanating out of Eastern Europe, major criminal gangs operating out of China now increasingly. That doesn't make sense. They, you can't expect a single company that's a profit-making entity whose job it is to build services for consumers or other businesses or products to also spend the kind of money it takes to go up against a nation-state or a nation-state-like attacker. And so the only way to get around that and to solve that problem is to bring companies together, industries together, and, and frankly, industry and government together to really uh, defend one another in this new domain that we're fighting in. Our thanks to Jamil Jaffer from IronNet Security for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Music.